Hello, and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona, during our normal service. John Chubb, and I'm happy to be preaching with you today. Uh, happy Easter. Our season of Lent is now over. Uh, we started this together on February 22nd, on Ash Wednesday. Uh, we gathered together. We had a service of penitence together. Uh, we put ash on our, on our foreheads, and we collectively uh, confessed our need for salvation. Um, we've put an emphasis on fasting there, during this time. Um, I've kind of shared with you about my own kind of fasting journey. Uh, I've been all, I'll, I've tried to be off my phone like uh, during this time uh, more so than I normally am. I've given up certain apps that I, that I typically own them a lot, uh, and this gave me a little bit of a chance to refocus uh, some of my energy. I got some of my time back, um, and it was a spiritual discipline for me where I remind, remind myself like, hey, I don't need this notification right now. Uh, what I need is God. Uh, I don't need this notification update. I was working on things late last night. I crawled into bed. It was 11.59. I waited for the clock to strike midnight, and I got my phone out and started checking some apps I hadn't been on in a while. So if you have tried to reach out to me on Instagram or TikTok in the last six weeks, I'm not, I sorry I've been ignoring you, and I will get back to you shortly. So I have a lot of <laughs> updates to send to people. I also try to limit my snacking between meals and kind of, kind of trying to remind myself, like, hey, I'm, when I'm feeling this hunger, uh, what I really need is God in my life. I don't need this snack or whatever. What I really need is God in my life. Uh, purple is often the color we use during this time. Um, we've kind of removed the purple from the sanctuary. As Lent is over, uh, we, we celebrate Christ's resurrection today. Um, again, we celebrate that idea all the time. Really, that's something we gather together and celebrate all the time. But Easter is, is the day where we really go all out. We really go all in on this, on this one. And we use the time of Lent to kind of prepare for this big celebration. And so it's kind of like when you get married, uh, you go through all this planning uh, for your wedding and your reception, and then you have a big party, your planning is over, and you don't need to do that anymore. And so for the last six weeks, uh, we've looked at various biblical passages uh, that involve the theme of stones or rocks. And each week, we've taken a stone with us to remind ourselves of the message. Each week, if you've been here, you're supposed to take one. I got a big old pile that I've been carrying with me uh, for the last six weeks. Um, And the point of this, the whole point that we've been doing this, is that these stones are to represent our sins. Our stones stones are to represent the fact that we place this stuff uh, between ourselves and God. That we place this stuff between ourselves and our neighbor. That there's this separation that exists, there's this thing that comes between us, and that we need God to remove the stones. We need God to remove that separation. Um, With this being Easter, uh, we have one final message tied in with the theme of stones, and then we'll move on to a different topic next week. Um, We've put stones all throughout the sanctuary. We spent some time this week gathering. I hope we got all the stones. We might have missed one or two, but, like, they're supposed to all be gone. Um, And so you were encouraged, if you've been coming here, to bring your stones back with you this morning. Um, Hopefully you all saw the note on the basket as well. So if this is your first time here with us or you forgot to bring some stones, like, that's totally fine. There is a basket in the back. Everyone gets at least one stone this morning, and we'll talk about what we're doing with them uh, as our sermon continues. Uh, so we'll pray, and we'll, we'll dive in. So please pray with me. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful uh, for your word. We are thankful for the truth of your word and its original, lived-out setting, uh, the truth of your word throughout the ages, and the truth of your word for us here and now today. I pray that I would indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth, 
If I say anything that's not of you, let that be forgotten. Uh, but we pray that you be brought glory and honor and that we learn to better be your disciples as a result. Amen. All right, so last week uh, was the beginning of Holy Week, and we started that, we marked that with this thing called Palm Sunday. Um, that, that was a Sunday where Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, and the crowds were welcoming him in. They were laying down their palm branches as part of that process. Uh, we, along with a lot of churches, were passing out palm branches as a reminder of this. Uh, Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the Passover one final time with his disciples. And we commemorated that. We kind of like did our own Passover uh, here this past Thursday. Uh, we had a mini reenactment of this together where we shared a meal together. We uh, took communion and we actually literally washed each other's feet and kind of enjoyed uh, doing that in that setting with uh, several of you. Um, and the whole point of the Passover meal was to celebrate uh, God's salvation in the past. That was the point of the Passover meal, as a reminder and a celebration of what God had done for the people in the past. That God had rescued their ancestors from Egypt, and there was that hope that he would do something again in the future. There was that hope that God would act in new ways again in the present day. And at that original Monday Thursday, at that original Last Supper, Jesus gives a new meaning to the Passover that God is going to step into the picture to save the people again, but this time it's going to be through the death of Jesus, that Jesus is going to die on a cross and this act will forgive people for their sins. Um, and for the disciples and those who are closest to Jesus, e even after this meal together is over, there's, just, there's still some confusion over what's going on. It's kind of confusion as, as the story progresses because right after this, he has this meal with his disciples. There's all this like emotions and energy are running high. Um, right after this, he, they go to the garden. He's betrayed. He's arrested. He's beaten. He's put on trial, and then he's killed on a cross. And so they had all this hope. They had all this excitement. Um, it was all coming to a fever pitch, and then it's like, whoa, it just falls apart right in front of their faces. Like in the blink of an eye, it seems to be gone. And so there was all this hope. There was all this excitement. Like maybe he was this promised Messiah. Maybe he was this king who was going to lead them to glory. And so how could this possibly be now? Like what, what are we going to do? He's, he's dead. You know, they're overcome with grief and confusion, and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. But as our story uh, starts uh, from Matthew 28, uh, two of the women that have been following him, Mary Magdalene and the other, woman, uh, other Mary, so the two Marys, uh, they, they're like, okay, he's dead. Let's go to the tomb and let's just pay our respects. Maybe we can prepare his body for burial, uh, things like that. And so uh, they, Jesus would have essentially been buried in a cave and there would have been a large stone in front of it. And so they're like, they're like okay, let's go and figure out, make sure that like, his body is, is ready for this and we're, we're, we're doing the right thing here. And there are some men guarding the tomb because some of the religious leaders who were associated with Jesus, they knew that he, Jesus kept saying this one thing over and over again. They, he knew that he kept saying, hey, I'm going to die and come back uh, from the dead. And so, like, the religious leaders, they remembered this. And they, they put these guards there because they didn't want anyone coming in, stealing the corpse, and then saying, oh, look, he, he, this thing he said he was going to do, he actually did. And so that's why these guards are there. Uh, but before the women arrive at the tomb, there's an earthquake, and an angel shows up. Uh, the angel rolls the stone away, and the guards, they're a bit freaked out by this as well. Uh, Matthew writes in, in verse 4, the guards shook from fear and fell down as though they were dead. And I love the irony of this. I hope we catch the irony of this, that these men are showing up to guard a dead man, and the angel shows up, and now they shake as if they are dead. Like, there's this, oh, this great irony there. It's like, it's so sweet. And so the guards, they're basically out of the picture now. The action and attention turns to the women showing up and their encounter with the angel. 
And the first thing the angel says to these two women is the same thing that pretty much angels say anytime in the Bible when they encounter someone. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Um, angels are heavenly beings, and so I can only imagine how exciting or terrifying it would be to be in their presence. Can't speak from personal experience. If you have, can do that, please talk with me after the service. But I can imagine it would be something otherworldly to encounter that. And so I think on one level, that's why they always say, like, don't be afraid, because I recognize this is kind of a terrifying thing you're experiencing. Uh, but I think there's also a, a deeper level meaning in what's going on here as well. I think there's something deeper in their statement. Um, yeah, the angels don't want the women to shake as though the guards did, uh, but the angel doesn't also want them to be afraid of just what they've been experiencing and feeling and thinking over the past few days. The angel doesn't want the women to be afraid that they've seen Jesus die and now that all hope is lost. They, they, they want them uh, to be comforted and like they don't need to be afraid there's something bigger and grander going on. All is not lost indeed. Um, these women, uh, they don't need to be afraid because the, uh, the rest of what the angel says to them in verses 5 to 7. Remember, Jesus was in the habit of saying, hey, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back. Uh, the religious leaders remembered this. That's why they put their guards there. Uh, but those that were closest to Jesus, those who were like hanging out with him all the time, um, they would hear these words as well, but it just didn't quite stick in their brains. It was kind of in one ear, out the other ear. It never really quite sunk in. And so the angel tells them this message again, like, yes, Jesus has died, but he didn't stay that way that not even death could hold him. He's risen from the dead, just as he said he would. And now I want you to go and tell the other disciples that you're going to see him very soon. And again, I've never encountered an angel, but I think if an angel tells you to do something, probably in your best interest to like go ahead and do that thing. And so they turn around and they hurry away. Uh, the text says that they're still afraid, but they're also filled with joy. Um, they're, still, they're trying to process all of this information. And so as they're going back to tell the other disciples about this, they encounter Jesus himself. And they embrace him, they worship him. Uh, Jesus says the same thing that the angel says to them. He says, don't be afraid and go and tell the others. And after seeing Jesus in person, they're not afraid anymore. Like that, that, that idea of them being afraid that has left the story. We don't see that anymore. Um, Matthew has nothing else to report about the women's fear after this. Again, they still need to work through the implications of what it means, but the fear is no longer there. And in Matthew's gospel, the first two people to see the risen Christ are women, uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And their goal, they're, they're told to go and tell the others about him. Uh, they've been commissioned by the risen Christ to go and make more disciples. And so the first two apostles in all of scripture we read about are women, uh, these two different Marys. And so Mary and Mary Magdalene, uh, they go tell the others about this. And we see in verse 16 that they end up at this mountain that Jesus tells them to be at. Um, Jesus shows up to now all of the disciples, and a similar reaction uh, it happens than what the uh, women had uh, previously. In verse 17, Matthew says that they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so there was that kind of the same reaction. The Marys had this, and the disciples have this as well. Uh, they fall at his feet, they worship him. That's what the Marys do. But there's also that sense of hesitation. They're, they're not exactly sure what to do with this. Uh, maybe there's a practical level of uncertainty, like, okay, we're here, we're experiencing this, but like, what do I do with this? Like, Jesus, you're standing right in front of me. I saw you die. What does this mean? What are we supposed to do with this? Uh, Jesus ends up giving his final teaching to the disciples in verses 18 to 20. Uh, he's telling them what this resurrection means. Like, you have this uncertainty. You're not sure what to make of it. I'm going to tell you what to do. He says that I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Like, he has all authority, both here in this earth and, like, in the grand scheme of, like, everything that's ever been created, everything that, like, even outside of what we can see. And he says that, you thought that I was your king and your Messiah. Well, you were right. I actually am. But that Messiah, that king that you were expecting, is not who I am. You were expecting this mighty political figure that's going to overthrow Rome, and that's not what I've been about. That's not the king I am. That's not the Messiah I am. My method has never been about power. It's never been about like using violence against others to get that power. I've been teaching about forgiveness and peace and love and reconciliation and all of those things. That's what I'm about. That's what you were to be about as well. I came here not to be served, but to serve. I went to the cross and I died for it all. That's how I became your king through dying. And I truly have all the power and authority in the world. The worst thing that you could do to another human being, the worst thing you could do is death even death itself cannot contain me. And so here is what I want you to do. Go and tell others about me and have them become my disciples as well. That is what, that is what I want you to do. All that stuff I taught you that I was in the habit of doing for these last three years with you, all that stuff about turning the other cheek and being generous and loving others and all, like all of those things I kept saying again and again and again, all of those commands, all of those teachings, go out and teach that to others. Go do those things, go practice them yourselves, and go do and teach those to others as well. Live out those ideas in and amongst yourself and teach them to others in the process. As your true king, you live under the principles of my kingdom. And again, it's not about power, it's not about control, but it's about peace and forgiveness. Those are the marks of my kingdom. It's about loving and serving. And so whenever someone hears this message, when you encounter them, they hear that and they believe that, baptize them in water. Baptism is this outward symbol of an inner cleansing. It serves as a marker, this new kind of point, like this new identity that you take on this thing and you live out a new reality. And those who become baptized are to continue to listen to the disciples' teachings about Jesus so they can continue to understand more about who he was and what he calls them to be. And while Jesus was physically in in the body, present with his disciples in that moment, he's going to leave them in a a little bit, ascend back to heaven. But he gives them that wonderful promise that he's going to return one day in glory, that God's going to remake everything into something beautiful that's never going to break down. Uh, But until that day happens, like whenever it is, he's going to remain with them. That last sentence reads, I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. And so he's always going to be with them. They don't need to fear. They don't need to worry. Whatever it is they're facing, like Christ will always be with them. So again, as you know, the last six weeks, we've been taking stones with us to remind ourselves of the message. That's been a theme for us, rocks or stones. Uh, For the last six weeks, we've looked at various passages in the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament that deals with stones. And these stones have been representing the brokenness of the world. If you do a keyword search for rocks or stones in the Bible, you'll, pick all, you'll see all kinds of passages. I could do this series again and kind of pick different passages, but here's, here's what we've been looking at. And this idea comes up again and again that God creates something good, we come along, we mess it up, and then God, like, fixes it for us. And so we looked at the Ten Commandments, and we said, it said that they were written uh, by the finger of God on stone. They show us how to live. We break them all the time. At the end of the day, they show us our pride. We looked at the prophet Obadiah, and he, he had this warning to the nation of Edom, how they were hiding in their rock fortress. They were trampling down others who had less. They were mocking it, their misfortune. And they were actually making money off of them in the process. 
They were kicking them while they were down. We looked at Ecclesiastes, how there's a time to gather stones, a time to cast stones, and how it's easy for us to just ignore the world around us, be so focused on our own lives, we can't see anything past our own faces, and there's like hurting and pain and just real people all around us we just like turn off and ignore all the time. Uh, we looked at the story of, uh, in John 11 of uh, people, or John 8, of people bringing Jesus, the woman who's caught in adultery. And they're like, Jesus, what are we going to do with this woman? And he says, hey, whoever has not sinned, you can take that stone and you can throw it at her. And kind of, we all have this, these labels that we, we carry against others. We all have these stones that we're carrying in our own hands, wanting to smash them against others. And Jesus says, drop the stone. Uh, we looked at the parable of the farmer sowing seeds, how uh, there's this call to be good soil, and it's a call to examine the soil that we have. Is it full of rocks and thorns and thistles? Like, what kind of fruit are we bearing? In our own lives, as a church, what kind of fruit do we have? If we have fruit that we don't like, or fruit that's like just kind of barren, like, we need to change some things and like bear good fruit. Uh, last week, we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus and how we often turn up our noses at those that don't look like us or act like us. We think that those people could, po- like, could not possibly be honored by God. And in the process, we're, we're almost causing creation to sing out. We're causing the rocks to want to sing when we push others aside who don't look like us. And so all of these stories have reminded us of our need for salvation, that we as humans need help that we keep putting these rocks between ourselves and God, and our, these rocks between um, ourselves and others. All of these stones represent the junk that gets in the way of loving others, of loving God. That God has standards for us uh, to live up to, and we as humans just fail miserably at living up to those standards. And again, each week we, we hopefully are taking one of those rocks to remind ourselves of this as a Lenten discipline. And so uh, this discipline has been leading up to this morning where today we're going to talk about rocks again, uh, but the object lesson is being transformed. Christ was all about transforming things, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about something we've been talking about, but we're going to transform it a little bit. And the Easter message is that we have all this stuff that comes between us and God and us and neighbor. It weighs us down, it trips us up, and we can't get rid of this stuff by ourselves. There's these barriers in place. There's these barriers between us and God, between us and neighbor, and we need God to step in and remove that for us. And the good news of Easter is that God has, in fact, done that. God has removed the barriers through the work of Christ. By Christ's death and his resurrection, our sins are gone. Christ was in a tomb, but God sends the angel to roll the stone away. That's the literary connection in case you missed it. Uh, God rolls the stone away. We can't do this ourselves. God does it for us in Christ. And God is in the business of removing stones from our lives. That's like what Christ is all about, is helping us to remove those stones that get in the way. The stone has been rolled away. Christ is alive and Christ is risen. And when we believe in Christ, he removes these sins. He removed these stones, which are symbolic of, our, our, of sin. They're gone from our lives when we believe that Christ has done this for us. Again, God is very much in the business of removing stones for our lives. That's the story of Scripture. God creates something good. We mess it up. God steps in and fixes it. That's the story again and again and again of Scripture. Ultimately comes uh, true in, in its penultimate way in the story of Easter. Jesus is the only one that can do this. No, no, human, is capable, no human alive is capable of forgiving sins. Only Christ. And God, the creator of the universe, has given Jesus all power and authority he has power over death. 
He has power over sin. Jesus willingly dies for us, is raised back to life, and then says, hey, come and follow me. The invitation of Jesus is, believe in me. Believe your sins are forgiven and follow me. And like the original disciples here in Matthew 28, when we hear this, I think we can have two similar reactions to this. There's two distinct responses. Uh, The first is that of worship, and the second is that of doubt or maybe fear or uncertainty. Uh, for the original disciples, when they encountered the original Easter message, that was the, those were the options for them. And those are basically the options for us as well. And so I think our, our application point today, our question, where we're taking this and like kind of like what we're kind of like wrestling with ourselves today is, what is our response to this? What is our response to Christ's resurrection? Is it worship or is it doubt? Like that is the question for us all this morning. Is it worship or is it doubt? And so let's talk about those, those things. For those of you who believe this message, uh, for those of you who believe that Christ has risen from the dead, who are following him, who are trusting in his path, for those of you who are worshiping him. So these rocks that we've been carrying around, they represent the baggage that we as humans have created. And this morning, we are free to release them as an act of worship. And so as you leave here this morning, at some point this week, whatever that looks like for you, I want you to release those rocks back into the world. You can release them as you leave right back into our campus. I got all the rocks from our campus. You can put them back on our campus. That would be great. If you don't, that's okay. We have a few thousand more in their place. And so uh, you can release them back. And when you do that, it's an act of worship. It's very, just offer up a simple prayer. Thank you. Like, thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you for rolling away the stone. I don't need to carry these around with me anymore. You've taken care of it all. And again, if you feel more comfortable doing that somewhere else, like that's totally fine. You go for a walk or whatever, like in your neighborhood, do it then. Maybe you, have the, you forgot the stones at work and you're having a bad day at work and you just be like, yes, I, I, I can just release these back. Whatever that looks like to you, we're not gonna get legalistic about spiritual disciplines and practices. That is our act of worship this week. Release those stones back. And so for those of you um, that would consider your response one of worship, that's what you're going to do with your rocks today or later on. Uh, but I know I'm speaking to a diverse audience right now. Uh, like we just said, like the other main response to the, to the first audience is maybe that of doubt. There was fear, there was doubt, there was anxiety, there was uncertainty. Like, what does this mean for them? What are we supposed to do about this? And so for those of you who are hearing about the risen Christ and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about this. I have my doubts. I'm not sure, like, what to make of all this. Like, this rock is going to represent something for you. So take this rock and, like, just meditate on this thing. And so this rock represents the fact that there is a God who loves you immensely. This rock represents the fact that Christ died and conquered death three days later. Uh, This rock represents the fact that he offers all of us salvation. He calls all of us to come and follow him. Uh, This rock represents the call of Jesus to just get rid of the garbage in your life. Whatever garbage, junk, pride you have in your life that's just kind of like getting in the way of things, like just release that and come and follow Jesus. Like lay that at the foot of the cross and come and follow him. This rock represents the fact that Jesus is always there right alongside of us. That first promise that he gives to the disciples in Matthew 28, hey, I'm going to always be with you, like, that remains true for each and every single generation, even for us now, 2,000 years later. Like, none of us are ever truly alone in this life. That no matter what you have done or not done, no matter where you find yourself, 
There's always a promise of restoration and healing and wholeness. That is what Christ offers all of us here. Maybe you used to follow Jesus years ago. That was a thing that was important to you years ago. Maybe you've gotten out of that, fallen away. Stuff has come up in your life. Like, he always welcomes you back. You know, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you still have major doubts or just stuff going on in your life. You're like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to work through this. Whatever that is, like, this rock represents the fact that, like, he's calling you back and he's calling you into community of others who are here to walk alongside of you. That's what this church thing is. Like, that's what we're here this morning. We are a community walking alongside of each other. So we're all in this together. You know, if you've never followed Jesus, you think there's too much junk in your life, you think that God can't forgive you, whatever that is, like, not the case at all. Christ welcomes in everyone who seeks him out. And if, again, if whoever is sitting here, whether your response is worship or doubt or somewhere in between, um, if you have questions about Jesus, what it means to follow him, like, you're like, I just want to have a conversation with somebody about this, like, reach out to me. Like, that is why I'm here. That's like, like, that's my job as a pastor is to do those things. And I actually like doing those things. That's what I'm here for. I'm putting my contact information up here. I have business cards in the lobby as well. Talk to someone here, talk to myself, send me an email, send me a text. You can reach out to me on Instagram. I actually will respond to you uh, pretty quickly uh, these days. You know, I'm on Facebook, whatever. And so like, if you just need a safe place to just talk about stuff, like that is what I am here for. And so if you are erring on the side of doubt or uncertainty, keep this rock with you as a reminder of the fact that there's a brokenness in the world and the, the, the hope of the Christian faith is that the world is fixed through Christ. So take this rock with you and just kind of keep that as a meditation point for you. And so to my friends in the faith and those who are on a faith journey, to those who are present now, to those who are listening in later, Christ is risen and he invites all of us to follow him. Our response can be one of worship or it can be one of doubt. And God is very much in the business of removing rocks from our lives, starting with that first stone at Easter and continuing on and on and on, even to here and now. Christ is always with us, always reaching out to us, always beside us. None of us are ever truly alone in this world. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.